Well, good morning, y'all. We are uh, in the middle of a series entitled Ancient Wisdom, which is all about ordinary people from the pages of the Old Testament of the Bible, most of whom we can't even pronounce their names. Uh, and they find themselves in an extraordinary set of circumstances where they are faced with some type of a tough choice. Do they or don't they? And whatever happens in that moment, that becomes a defining moment for the rest of their lives. And we get a front row seat to all of that. And um, we get to learn from what it is they decide to do and, and how they react. And so today's uh, message is about a man who literally had it all. And um, at the end of the day, though, none of it really mattered because he found himself facing a life-threatening disease, and how he overcame that um, can be a valuable lesson for all of us, I think. When, when, you know, through the years, in 23 years or whatever it is we've uh, been a church, you know, through the years, I think the greatest frustration among Christians that I hear is um, this idea that they feel like they're not growing. Um, they feel stagnant, or really they don't feel anything at all. And, you know, the question always arises, where do I go from here? What are my next steps in my relationship with God? And, and I think that some of us um, have had some beautiful spiritual experiences where we feel so close to heaven, we could just reach out and, you know, touch the pearly gates. But when that experience is over, many people feel frustrated because we somehow have this belief that we're supposed to be able to always maintain that kind of a, of a spiritual high. And when we realize that we can't, we feel defeated as if somehow we're not close to God anymore. But what if living close to God isn't about those highs at all? What if it's really about the everydays? What if it's just a simple matter of just doing whatever it is that God asks us to do? Well, in the Old Testament uh, book of 2 Kings chapter 5, it tells a story of Naaman. And uh, Naaman was the guy who really had it all. He was a very powerful, wealthy military man, probably the most successful general of his day, leading his men against the enemy from over one victory after another after another. And so he was adored by the people of his country, much like a General Schwarzkopf after Desert Storm. And, and because of that, he was a man of influence in his kingdom and had the respect of his king. The whole country literally adored this man. And so here's a man who had it all, power and wealth and influence, but there came this point where none of it meant anything at all because Naaman had a problem. As he got out of bed one day, I'm sure it was just like any other day as he was getting ready to go to work, he catches a glimpse of a little something in the mirror. And to his horror, on his body, he sees this spot talking about like a little pimple spot. 
This was uh, something of a spot that was the first symptom of what would become one of the most dreaded diseases of his day. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. It was the absolute worst thing that could have happened to this man who was in the height of his career because he was not only guaranteed a very slow, painful, horrific death, but he would also have to become a social outcast because of the highly contagious nature of this disease, and so he would have to go out on his own until the day he died. I mean, let's just say as far as contagious diseases go, COVID's got nothing on leprosy, right? Well, the word got out about Naaman's disease, and because he had heard through the grapevine about this prophet, there was a prophet of God who was over in Israel, who he heard was able to heal people. And so he literally, on a whim, he takes a risk, he packs a bag, and he, he goes out to Israel in search of this prophet named Elisha, who supposedly had these miraculous healing powers. Now, after doing a little investigative work, he finds Elisha living out in the middle of nowhere. And I just always imagine Elisha living in some broken down shack with not even two pennies rubbed together. And he hasn't showered like in weeks. And here's Naaman. He pulls up into his driveway in all of his glory, and he's probably, you know, he's got his whole entourage of servants and soldiers and horses and chariots, and they're probably all dolled up with, you know, armor and ribbons and feathers sticking out of their helmets and stuff. And, you know, so here they are pulling up in front of this little shack, which was Elisha's house. And Elisha does something kind of strange and seemingly a little rude. He, he, it's obvious that he is so not impressed with this man that he doesn't even go out and greet him himself. He sends his servant out to go and talk to him. And it's also obvious that Elisha knows exactly why it is that Naaman has rolled up onto his house because the servant comes outside and he just says this, Naaman, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Now, what you need to know here is in order to appreciate what Elisha just told this man of prestige and honor um, to do is that the Jordan River, more than any other river in that area, is the dirtiest, nastiest river in all of Israel. It makes the fox look like a spring-fed waterway or something, right? And so Naaman is like completely offended. Not only has Elisha just shunned him and not come out to talk to him and sent his servant out, not only has he, you know, told him, you know, something through his servant of what he has to do, who is this guy, Uh, But he's telling him to go in this nasty river and to dip seven times into this river. And, you know, he's going, look, I I just thought he'd like wave his hand, 
over my body. I'd pay him a little something for his effort and I'd be cured. But that's not the way that it went down. He's like, at least he could have given me a clean river, you know, to go and dip myself in. So this very powerful, wealthy man of distinction throws himself a little tantrum. And Naaman's servants come up and they, and they try to settle him down. And in verse 13 it says, But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet would have told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done that? Right? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, Go and wash yourself and you'll be cured. And you know, they make a good point, right? So, you know, they say, hey, Naaman, if he would have told you to go out and like kill a lion with your bare hands and rip its teeth out and bring the teeth back, and when you do, you'd be healed of your leprosy, you would do that, right? He's like, oh yeah, I would totally do that. Or you go out and, you know, fight a hundred men, and when you kill the hundredth dude, like that's when your leprosy would be cured, you'd do that. He'd be like, hell yeah, right? So then they say, so why not do this simple little thing? Like, what's the big deal? What have you got to lose? He's just telling you to go and dip yourself in a river seven times. His ego was, you know, getting in the way of him being cured. But finally, these guys were, you know, getting through to him. And in verse 14, it says that Naaman agreed. He went down to the Jordan River. He dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him to do, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Amazing, right? I mean, it was absolutely miraculous. Now, here is the question that I want us all to ponder here this morning. You ready? If Naaman was told to dip himself in the river seven times. Which dip was it that cured him? Was it dip number seven? I mean, that was an amazing dip, right? I mean, can you imagine going down in the water covered with leprosy and you come out and you have better skin than, you know, the whole thing than when it started. Like, I'm putting my money on dip number seven. Dip number seven, that was a great dip, really. But here's the thing. Before dip number seven came dip number six. And you have to ask yourself, could there have been a dip number seven without a dip number six? I don't think so. So which dip do you suppose was the most important dip? When you think about it, I bet dip number one was the absolute worst. I mean, you could see Naaman, he's ticked, he's humiliated, he gets down in this river, and as he takes that first step, you could hear his, the sucking sound of the mud suck his feet down into the muck and the goo, and he's just mad, right? By dip two, he's probably got dirty, nasty, wet leaves that he's like, you know, picking off his body. And dip three, he's got dirt running down his face and he's just, you know, he's just ticked. You can just tell. It's just all waters, all stanky. Dip four, I just imagine like something dead floats by. 
And he just shakes his head in disgust. Dip five, I'm just imagining, you know, maybe nothing happens. And he's thinking to himself, you know, I am a grown man, a general no less. And here I am listening to this fool, looking like a fool. Nothing's happening here. Do I really need to go through all of this humiliation? So maybe he gets all the way to dip number six and he's ready to bag it, right? Because he's looking at himself after every dip and nothing's happening. And Maybe he just goes, you know what, I've gone this far, I'm filthy, I might as well just finish this thing just to prove that this is all bogus. And so comes dip number seven. And I just imagine that as he comes up out of the water after dip number seven, I just imagine he probably looks at his men and he goes, see, see, I told you this was all just a big farce. And they're like going, hey, look. And he is like completely healed, unhealed. Believable. It's a great story, isn't it? But it strikes me that this is a story that is a great metaphor for the Christian life. One dip is really, really impressive, but the rest of them, hmm, pretty uneventful. But even while they may be underwhelming, it takes dips one through six to get to dip seven. You know what I'm saying? In the Christian life, some days, some days are like the seventh dip. Especially when we first become a Christian, when we first discover our faith, when we first come to Jesus. I mean, incredible things are happening. You're you're feeling so close to God that you could just reach out and, and touch him. Everything's going your way. Miracles are happening. You feel different because you feel like you have this second chance. You're experiencing and seeing the world completely in a new way now. You're discovering your spiritual self for the first time, and you are on this spiritual high that is incredible. But the truth is, most of the time, from that point forward, the Christian life is way more like dips one through six. Pretty uneventful. Nothing really exciting going on, and when something does happen, there's no real wow factor to it. In the Bible, we read a lot about the seventh dips of a lot of people, like Moses, for example, right? I mean, we think this guy had this incredibly exciting life, leading the children out of Israel, putting the plagues on Egypt, parting the Red Sea, receiving the Ten Commandments from God himself. I mean, chapter after chapter in the Bible is dedicated to the stories, uh, the incredible stories of this guy's life. But what do we know about the 40 years, the 40 long years of his life before all of that happened? That is covered in a couple quick little sentences. I mean, can you imagine if they recorded all the events of Moses during that time? It'd be something like, these are the events of the life of Moses, the shepherd living out in the desert for 40 years. Day one, Moses tends his sheep. Day two, Moses tends his sheep. Day three, Moses still tending sheep. Day four, maybe he's so bored he's singing to his sheep. 
I mean, we don't really know the, the monotony of the daily, uh, in, the daily job of being a shepherd out in the wilderness that Moses had. But when the time came, and the Red Sea parts, and the Israelites walk across on dry land. Man, what a seventh dip that guy had, right? I think some of us, we have false expectations about what it means to be a Christian. And we think that every day is supposed to be a seventh dip. But I think when our expectations are off like that, we get frustrated because we're not experiencing the kind of spiritual high that we're looking for, and so we decide to make changes, right? So for a lot of people, they say, well, I'm going to switch churches because I don't feel like I'm getting fed, and so they'll go to a different church. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, they feel the exact same way. There is no geographical cure for the lack of spiritual vitality. But after a few weeks, you know, They maybe sign up for a seminar or some class and they say, well, maybe I can find the answers there. But when they get there, maybe there's a little spark of a spiritual high, but, you know, it goes right back to normal on Monday morning. You see, dips one through six, it's not about like staying on some spiritual high. It's about staying faithful to God. It's what the Bible calls obedience. But that's what causes us to grow and stay connected. I always tell uh, our teams in my company, Marquette, in every job, I, I, I don't care what job it is that you do. And I, I have a great job and I love my job, but 80% of my job is stuff I don't like. Like 80% of my job is all of the details and the minutiae that I absolutely hate to do. But it's executing the 80% well that earns you the privilege to be able to do the 20% that we love. But that 80%, that's the everyday part. That's what gets us where we want to be. Because without the 80%, there would be none of the 20%. Without dips one through six, there would be no dip Seven. And I would say that the Christian life is no different. 80% of the Christian life is doing the work of staying connected. They don't call it spiritual disciplines for nothing, right? Prayer, Bible study, giving, serving, all of that stuff that a lot of us don't really enjoy. Some who are blessed do. God bless you. But there's a lot of us where that's like a lot of hard work and we experience those things and it's like feeling mundane and it feels like a grind and work. And, but that's the stuff. That's the stuff that keeps us connected to God. That's the 80%. That's the dips one through six. That's the stuff that helps us to, to be able to live a fulfilling and connected life. If you're wondering what is the next step for you in the Christian life, it's this. Just keep doing what God asks you to do. And sometimes you get a seventh dip, and sometimes you don't. But in the meantime, 
Just keep doing what God asks you to do. And that's not to say we don't make mistakes or get off track at times, because we all do. There are times when things don't go like I want them to. There's times when I feel like I'm standing sucked into the mud and there's like dead things floating by and I'm picking leaves off my body and and it's no fun. But I keep pressing forward. I keep pressing down the narrow dirt path that leads to Jesus. That's the 80% of the Christian life. That's what makes all the difference. If you think about it, we're all a little like Naaman, thinking that it's all so mundane. But, you know, how many of us would love it if God were to yell out of the heavens and he would say, hey, you in the blue shirt, you want to have a great life? Then here's what you need to do. You need to go down to Lake Michigan, you need to buy a canoe, and you need to go at sunset and paddle yourself across Lake Michigan to the other side. And when you get there, you need to run 24 miles, go into the forest, find this magic coin. When you do, spin around three times, and when you've done that, boom, you're going to have an incredible life. My guess is, if we were guaranteed that, there's a lot of us, we'd be buying paddles and we'd be heading down there at sunset, right? Absolutely. You feel like your life's going to be made. But because it's something so simple as just living your life day in, day out, quietly being faithful to God, we think, ah, that's too easy. That's too blah. I have to be honest with you, when I look around and I see all the seven dips that happen in other people's lives, I get a little jealous. And I'm like, God, I could use a few more seven dips from time to time if you don't mind very much. But it doesn't happen that way. Most of the time, I'm just standing there like everybody else, picking the wet leaves off of my body. We're all in the same boat. But here's what I know. I know this. If next week isn't so seventh dip-ish, and believe me, it's been a long time since I've had a seventh dip week, if it's not seventh dip-ish dip next week, however you say that, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep on doing what God asked me to do. Because dips one through six is all about being faithful to God every single day. Dips one through six is what allows us to live a life where we can know God's presence in our daily lives, even if we're not feeling it. A life where he gives us the strength to be able to persevere when it feels like I can't go on. A life where he gives us a peace that transcends all understanding when it feels like we're going to explode from the pressure. The abundant life is a life in Jesus where we have purpose and direction. And because of that, it's a life where we feel fulfilled and thankful every day for what we have instead of living like so many people do who are discontented and bitter and resentful and never happy and never satisfied. While on the outside of our lives may look dull and boring, 
the reality is that there is a richness inside of us that sustains us and is way more fulfilling than any kind of a life out there that we see that looks so glamorous on the outside. I have learned that for me. I have found most of the seventh dips in my life come in the form of serving. When I'm able to contribute, when I'm able to give, when I'm able to make a difference in somebody else's life, when I'm able to work to to really help somebody, man, I got to tell you, that's a seventh dip for me. And it's a privilege to be able to contribute to people's lives. And what that tells me is that the Christian life is not about a life where we look to get fed. It's not about being takers. It's about being givers. And it's, it's about what you put into it is what you get out of it, just like any good thing in this life. The Christian life is an abundant life, not because we have spectacular things happening to us every day and we are living in this spiritual high, Instead, it's an abundant life because we know that God is faithful and he will be there even when we're not feeling it. We just have to be willing to put the work in day in and day out to keep that connection. I I can't always promise you an exciting life as a Christian or that you can maintain these kind of spiritual highs But what I can promise you is an abundant one. A life of fulfillment and joy and peace. A life that will one day lead to that final dip where God brings us into a life eternal that will go way beyond anything we could have ever imagined. But in the meantime, we just got to keep on doing what God asks us to do. Just got to Keep on dipping.